Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. My name is Camille Urich, and today I will be reading scripture from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Well, October is over, November is here, which means it's time for us good Canadians to begin celebrating that day that the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock and ate their first meal in the New World. I mean, Black Friday started, right? (laughs) On November 1st. It's now not a day, it's a month. It used to be the day that marked when retailers finally were in the black so they could start discounting everything. I don't even know if that's true. I'm not sure any retailers are in the black anymore. There's no real Black Friday, and now it's a month, including Cyber Monday, which is also part of the month, and that's just craziness. So some of you are maybe already in that. Now, whether you're a shopper or not, I bet you there's something that if you heard that particular thing was on sale or available now at the lowest, like at a a price that you'd say, that's scandalous. Like, I have to get that. So whether you're a shopper or not, just turn to the person next to you and say, what would be that thing that if you found out was like at a 75 to 80% discount, you're like, this is from heaven. I have to do this. So take a moment, just talk to the person next to you. Okay, whatever that is, you can continue that later. Some of you are embarrassed at what you just said out loud. For me, it would be if Jack and Jones had an entire store uh, sale um, for the week. That's, wh- that's where I would head. Here's the thing you need to know. For the next three months, you are going to be relentlessly pursued by all of the energy and marketing dollars that retail has to give you. 
because you have Black Friday and whatever in November, then Christmas, and then Boxing Day, which is now not actually really Boxing Day. It's all of January. So for the next three months, you will be inundated with one message, a reminder of what you don't already have. Right? That is the one thing that retail will marshal all of its energies to remind you of this, the one thing. Oh, I don't have that. Whatever that thing is, wherever, wherever you uh, land on the love shopping, hate shopping thing, that is their one sole message. It's not even about the products or whatever. It's like, hey, you don't have this. And their hopes is as they do that, I used to work in the industry, so I know it sounds like I'm being evil. I remember my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up with that. And then I was, when I was working marketing, whatever, he would talk about like commercialism, whatever, and what marketers do. I would just sort of slink into my seat. I was very proud of my profession. I'm just saying, it's this effort and energy. It's, it's actually how our entire North American economy works, right? It's consumption is goods and services. And so therefore, all of us need to be reminded constantly of what we don't have. And you're like, duh, of course, how am I going to know I want it if I don't know I need it, right? Like, how does that work, right? That's how it works. And that is the one goal in these next three months. So be aware. Now, it's not just retail that makes you aware of what you don't have. Social media does that too. Like for some of you, you're not goods and services people, you're like experienced people. You're like, you know, I remember when we were first married and I said to Jen, oh, let's go on this trip. And she's like, well, how much would it cost? And I told her, she's like, we could buy a couch for that. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, that's, who cares? Like, <laughs> this is a trip. This is an experience. So some of you are like, man, I don't care about that. Well, social media reminds you about the experiences and what other people are doing or what they're wearing or the new sort of blow drying experience that they had. That how did they get, how did you get your hair to look like that? Like all this stuff that's social media, you're aware of what you don't have, what other people are having, experiencing, buying and doing that again, makes you aware of what you don't have. And maybe you should try that or need that. So it isn't just retail marketing. It's all your friends that you are connected to in social media. It's just the world we live in. We are constantly reminded of what we don't have. And joking aside, it has a devastating effect on the inside of us. It actually makes us um, not happy with what we do have because our primary focus, so whatever used to be shiny when we brought it home is not as shiny anymore compared to certainly the very shiny thing we're looking at now that we don't have. And so it makes us kind of discontent with what we do have. It makes us dr driven and uh, marshalling our energy and our time and our resources towards acquiring that thing or that experience or that life stage or whatever that we don't have. So now we're, we're driven towards the thing that we need to acquire. Or it can make us very frustrated because we don't have that. How come I don't have that? How come we don't have that? And listen, community can make this worse for us. What's interesting is, right, you're, the neighborhood you live in can make this more difficult for you because you just see what pulls up in your neighbor's driveway. Or they invite you over to their house and you're sitting at their table going, oh, this would be nice. Or what your friend shows up in when they get to school that day and you're like, whoa, where did you get that, right? The community we're in, our neighbors who sits next to us in class, um, even our workplace, our work colleagues, as we kind of trade stories of what we did on the weekend or what did you do on vacation, all of a sudden the, the benchmark of what is normal and what we should have and what we should, you know, hey, I work here too or I have the same position as them. If they did that, I should be able to do that. All of that stuff just starts to make us aware of what we don't have and what they have. So community can make this difficult for us. 
Even if you think about the family of origin that you grew up with. Maybe you grew up in a family where, you, it, where there was a scarcity mentality, and by that I mean you were always aware of what you didn't have and what everybody else had. And maybe your parents kind of talked about it in a way that kind of was, they were kind of bitter, sort of, maybe at your extended family or relatives, or look at what they did, or, oh, we could never afford that. And so there's that whole thing of like what we don't have and what they have. Or maybe your family was like, hey, whatever it is, we're going to get it. Oh, you want that? That's interesting. You're like, you, were, you grew up in a, in, a, in a culture of, hey, whatever we don't have, we get. And it's always the next thing and the new thing and the shiniest thing. And so community can make this even, I can't blame the advertisers, community can make this even harder on us than just kind of to deal with what creates this. As I said, sometimes this sense of discontent with what we do have, a drivenness to acquire what we don't have, or a frustration if we can't get it. Which is why the community of Christ, the church, this community is a great gift to us. That's why we're talking these, these eight weeks about what is the church. And our hope and our prayer and our understanding is for some of you that say, well, I don't even know what it is. Is this going, oh, this is what this is meant to be. Or for some of you thinking, yeah, like you, you think it, it's a place you go or an hour on Sunday. It's like, no, this is something totally different. This is a gift that God has given you. The greatest gift in a sense he's given us through Jesus is the family of God. Because while other communities in our life may make the sort of awareness issue more of an issue, what we are aware of, what we don't have, um, this community is meant to be marked by something else. And we're calling this series Halfway to Heaven because we're saying this actually, this place, this community, this family you're a part of is meant to be a taste of heaven on earth. And I know some of you go, oh, well, yeah, right. Um, but it's actually the, the, the scriptures, the New Testament writers, Jesus described the church as the place, the overlap between heaven and earth, where heaven touches down, where we, in a sense, have a, have a chance to experience God in his presence with the community of people together, and that somehow it would hold in it this taste of what we are all longing for. In a sense, that's, you know, heaven is not a place, it's a space. It's an experience in a sense that we are actually meant to begin to get a little bit of a taste of now, which makes us long. C.S. Lewis called it the scent of a flower we've never actually smelled before, a longing for home and a place we've never been. It's this something inside of us that says, oh, this is, if I could just bottle this, if I could have this all the time. And yet we know for many of us, you know, the church has let us down or it's just a struggle to be heaven on earth. And we're saying, yeah, we're halfway there. We're not quite there. There's some of it that, are, that we're already experiencing, but it's a foretaste. It's a, it's a preview of what is meant to be in the future when heaven comes down to us. And so we're, we're saying we're never going to give up trying to understand what it means to be the church and how do we do this together. And here's the gift for us. When, when we are tempted to and, and immersed in a culture where we are constantly aware of what we don't have, the church, this family, this community actually helps us be aware of something totally different and the cure for this. And it actually is found um, in, we're using one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, uh, probably written about 50 to 55 A.D., about uh, 20 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's still eyewitnesses walking around who had been with Jesus, who had seen him die and seen him raise, or be raised from the dead. And they're starting these new communities of going, this is what had convinced them. He's Lord, he's Lord, he's Lord. Not Caesar uh, in that time. No, it's Jesus. And the apostle Paul and others were writing letters to young churches like ours, like theirs in Corinth, trying to help them understand. And Corinth, as I said, he was interesting. It was a, it's an isthmus of land connecting um, two larger bodies of land and also bordered top and bottom by two gulfs. And so uh, Corinth, uh, in a sense, was this place where um, there was 
it was a significant trade route, right? There was no internet. There was no Cyber Monday. Everything that was bought and sold was bought and sold in person. And so the tr uh, Corinth as a trade route was so significant because it, you could cross it by land and you could get there as from sea. And so it was a, it was a port and it was an uh, overland route. And so it was a place people went to make it big. So a lot of people in Corinth were wealthy. It was a big city. You go there because the opportunity for industry and trade and whatever you have to sell is there. There's going to be buyers and whatever you have to sell. And so Corinth was a community in a sense that we can relate, that, that could relate to us in this whole idea of the awareness of what we don't have and the need to acquire and get wealthy. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them, telling them about something that's going on. You see, the Jerusalem church, when it started, was very poor. And it was where the gospel first started, because that's where Jesus uh, was killed and was raised to life, was in Jerusalem. The reason the Jerusalem church was poor is two reasons. One is, um, poor people got it first. They were like, oh, we get this. This is for us. Right? If you look at Jesus' ministry, he was constantly saying, hey, God is for you, not against you, that the riches in life are not to be found in sort of what you own, but who God is and his love for you and the life that you've been invited into. And so many poor people were becoming followers of Jesus, but many people were becoming poor because they were becoming followers of Jesus. That's the other group. They were getting kicked out of their homes because they were becoming followers of Jesus. They were losing their jobs because they were getting, becoming followers of Jesus. Many of their jobs were tied to the worship of other deities. So every guild or every trade had its own god. And so part of going to work was going to worship at the god of the blacksmiths, at the god of the carpenters, woodworkers, whatever it was. And so when they said, oh, we don't actually worship that god anymore, you lost your job. At one point, the Roman culture, the emperors made it legal for you to plunder the homes of Christians. So if you needed something and you were on your way home from work, you don't have to stop at the store. You just stop at the local Christian's house and just take whatever you want. And so they were losing property. They were losing homes. They were losing their lives. And so many of them had become poor because they had become followers of Jesus. So Paul, as he would plant these churches and write letters to other places, he would say, hey, you know, as you're doing this, as you're becoming followers of Jesus, can you also give some money to help the Jerusalem church? And so he was writing to Corinth to, to let them know because they were a wealthy church. But something crazy happened in the process of these letters going back and forth. And here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He said, now, brothers and sisters, remember, we said that's not a, hey, brother, you know, just a, a light term. This is family. He's saying, hey, remember your family. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So another group of churches in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on, the, on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. He was talking to a, a Corinthian church, which is wealthy, trying to help them to understand, hey, part of sharing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually helping each other. You're a family of churches. You're connected to each other. But then he says this group of churches in Macedonia who were also poor, and they think that, um, historians, because the Macedonian uh, uh, part of the Roman Empire was oppressed heavily by Rome. So Rome ground them under their thumb quite a bit. And so they were already poor to begin with. And then they experienced the same kind of persecution that the Jewish uh, followers of Jesus did where they were uh, plundered and that kind of thing. And so he said, they, the group of churches in Macedonia were also experienced an extreme trial. Therefore, I didn't ask them to give, but they begged to be involved in this giving to each other. It says, out of their extreme poverty... 
and severe trial, something unusual overflowed in them. Generosity. Generosity. He says, he said, I didn't ask them. They begged to be a part of this, and they gave more than we could have ever imagined, not out of their wealth, but out of their poverty. What is this word, generosity? It, it, it actually falls in this sentence in a totally counterintuitive way. Severe trial, extreme poverty equals generosity. No, it doesn't. Now, what is that about? What is generosity? It's not He's not talking about donors. You know, you're at a store and at the end of it saying, would you like to give a dollar to whatever? So that, that's, that's, you know, that kind of donation. Generosity is a different kind of donation. The best translation probably of it is self-donation. That's why he says at the end of this passage, he said, they gave of themselves to God and then they gave themselves to us. He said, it's this kind of, it's a self-sacrifice, it's a self-giving, it's a kind of thing that has nothing to do with how much you have in your hand. It's something else. It actually isn't tied to, well, I have so much, I should give a little bit like that. There was something he said that changed it for the Macedonian churches that he was saying to the Corinthian church, look, I want you to pay attention to this example because when you and I and any human being for that matter, is more aware of what we don't have, we are far less likely to give, right? When we are focused on what we don't have, what happens in our hearts ultimately and then in our hands is this. It's this close to the chest. It's this, I can't, it's, it is a kind of poverty on the inside. I am poor, I cannot give. I am poor, I cannot give. It's a poverty of, of spirit, he says the Macedonian church had legitimate poverty, but they became aware not of what they didn't have, but what other people needed. When they became aware of what the situation the Jerusalem church was in, something inside them went like this. We, and they begged to give. And this is the key. The more we are aware of what we don't have, the less likely we are ever going to be willing to give, and it's a giving of ourselves from the inside. We might, make, we might be donors, we might make a donation here and there of funds, but the inside, the self-giving, the, the giving of the self will never be easy if we are aware of what we don't have. It is when we become aware of what other people need and therefore what we are able to give, that something we actually begin to want to give ourselves. So he says, this doesn't make any sense. And he said, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to tell you a story of what happened with a group of people who had no business giving. Something inside them broke out in a, in a sort of self-giving. He said, they gave themselves to us and to God. And this is what generosity is. And this is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to understand. There was an opportunity to give that came up for them. He said, I want you to be aware of this, that there's something inside you that can well up with joy even when you feel poor. But there's a way to be rich in hand but still poor in spirit that makes you go like this. 
it makes you shrivel up on the inside. He said, there's something else. Generosity is when our hearts overflow in awareness of what others need and all that we have, and then we are able to give ourselves away, our hearts, our lives go to this. He says, then you have, right, then you have, right, this overflowing joy, this picture of what was going on with the Macedonian church, is then you have the one thing that you cannot have when you are constantly focused on what you don't have. It's freedom. Implicit in this word generosity is this idea of liberality or freedom, a freedom to give ourselves. He says, when you are aware, right, of what, when we're aware of what we don't have, we are not free. We are clenched up like this. When we become aware of what others need, and the opportunity we have, it actually results in generosity, liberality, this freedom, this I'm actually giving myself to the person. Why? Because generosity is not about the funds, it's about the relationship, right? You can make donations to various causes and things, but brothers and sisters give themselves away, right? We give ourselves to each other. That's why this terminology, brothers and sisters, is so important. This is why he was trying to help them see what is happening. And they were separated by hundreds of miles from each other. Hey, what's happening over there to that community should affect your heart because they are your brothers and sisters. And when you understand right? Like if somebody comes over, if, if, a, if someone comes to your house and may ask for a donation, you might give a donation. But if one of your family member comes over for dinner, right? You don't say, hey, you know, can, can I give you a dollar or whatever? Or can you give me a, like it's at the end of the meal or something like that? But you really hope that if you're in need or they're in need, they would do whatever they could to give to you. And they would give it, you wouldn't even actually feel good about it if they were like, okay, fine, how much do you need? Like you wouldn't feel good about that. I mean, you might still take it, but you wouldn't feel good about it, right? Like, you would want them to have a joy that says, oh, are you kidding me? How come you didn't tell me sooner? I had no idea. Can I help you? How can I help you? What can we do, right? Because that's what brothers and sisters, that's what family does for each other. That's not a donation of funds. That's a giving of myself. How can I help you? Even if we don't have funds to give the other person, what do we want to do? How can I help? Can you want to stay over? You want to live here for a week? Do you need, right? We would do that for each other in family. And that's why Paul's saying, brothers and sisters, this is how generosity works in the family of God. And that's why he reminds us, this verse is so important, right? If you take this verse out of this passage, what I'm about to read to you, you don't get the verse like you get it here. Look what he says in, in verse nine at the end of it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, is he saying Jesus had lots of money and you didn't, and he gave you money, now he doesn't have money, and you, he's not talking about money. It's so clear to us, right, in this thing. What did Jesus give us? Himself. He gave his life, and not just in death, he, he left the riches, they say, of heaven, equality with God, everything he wanted to make himself nothing, in a sense. That's what um, Philippians says, that he, he emptied himself of all of the glory and everything that he rightfully deserved to become poor, to become mistreated, to become an everyman, an everyday Joe, to become misunderstood, to give himself, his whole life, away to us. And he said, because of that, what he gave us, we became rich. Now we know he's not talking about money. How did Jesus giving himself away make us rich? Because there was a poverty of spirit that we all had, no matter how much we had in our pockets, in our bank accounts. 
that there's something on the inside in all of us that isn't right, that feels empty, that feels poor in spirit, that we cannot be the people we long to be, that we cannot treat each other in love the way we know we should be treating each other, that we cannot deal with the stain that's on our hearts from the stuff we do or the things we think or the things we have done. We could not save ourselves. We could not fix ourselves. We could not heal ourselves. That's why Jesus gave himself away. And he says, now, because you have received him, you now are rich on the inside. He says, do you get it? This money thing isn't about money. It's about a poverty of spirit, and it's a richness that you can have no matter how much you have. And he says, when you become aware of how rich you really are in Christ, what Jesus has given you, then you can be generous, right? Then you're free. Oh my gosh, I have, I have this? I've become now way more aware of what I have and what others need, and now I'm free to be generous. Because I'm not thinking anymore what I don't have. I re- That's why he's reminding them, remember, to a, to a people who are wealthy, he was saying, remember, you were poor, even though you thought you were rich. And then when Jesus gave himself to you, realize, oh, now I am rich. Remember, and now that you are more aware of the riches that you have in Christ, now you are free to be generous. Now you can give yourself away. Jesus himself is the picture of self-donation. The Macedonian church was acting out of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that was given to them. Now, for our church, over the last 10 years, we have had the opportunity to be financially generous in many ways, and this church has. You have given thousands of dollars to the ministry that we have uh, in West Africa, in Guinea, and we just met with Lizette this week. She's home. She's going to be here on December 1st, so if you've never had to meet her and never had a chance to meet her, you don't know anything about what's going on in West Africa that our church is a part of, you're going to get to hear that. Um, <clears throat> that we'll be talking about a, a trip that's happening next March. Some of you have a chance to go to do that. We have raised thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for that. Um, we have given uh, money to the Compassion Fund, which has helped people in this church and people outside our church who just need, who, who come into issues of food, shelter, and clothing, and medical bills, and whatever, and we've been able to help them because of your generosity. We've been able to give money to the fight against human trafficking. And, and recently, like uh, the last couple of years, we raised over a million dollars to help multiply uh, congregations in different communities as part of Upper Room Community Church to hopefully help one day have a, a permanent space for Upper Room Community Church. Right now we lease, and we were able to give $120,000 of that away to various people who are doing the kind of work that we love and support and feel like is Jesus' work in the world around us. And so this church has had many opportunities to be financially generous, but I'm not talking about money. This is about giving ourselves, and I think that what I sense that God is calling us to as a church right now is what does it mean to give ourselves to something, in particular, our time? What does it mean to be willing to be generous with what we have to give? Where this intersects uh, our church, this passage intersects our church right now, is we are in the middle of a vision that is actually seeing to multiply congregations all over the place. And so we have another one in Bolton, and we are getting prepared to launch a third one in King City. Um, Actually, six months from now, seven weeks from now, we're going to be doing a Christmas Eve service, which is kind of scary for everybody who's tasked with pulling that off. That's kind of crazy that that's happening. Um, But here's the motivation for that. Um, This is not like a franchise. Like, I'm telling you, it would be easier not to do any of this. It would be easier to just stay here or try to get a bigger building or whatever, but here's, here's what we are convinced of. 
we have become aware of the riches we have in Christ. And we say, you know what? I had a friend of mine who uh, is in Durham region, and he said that they're, they're planning a new development in Durham, I think up to 70,000 new homes. It's the largest development in any part of Canada that the, his, the history of the country has ever seen. And he was talking to the, the city planner for that. 70,000 homes, do you, mind, do you know how many churches they're planning for that community? How much land? Zero. Now, I'm not here to complain about the politicians because it's not their job to plant churches, it's ours. It's the church's job. Because the church understands that what a community needs to thrive is not just jobs, is not just affordable housing, is not just a Walmart. It actually needs the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know you can be rich and poor on the inside. And we know that in this community and in this culture, it is so much easier to be aware of what we don't have, which is a kind of a poverty of spirit that is constantly needing to acquire more, which drives us to work harder than we should and spend more than we should and live with more debt than we should and sacrifice relationships for tasks and other things more than we should. And so we know that is not riches. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has come into our lives, that has changed us from the inside out, we know when we are becoming more aware of what we have in our hands and that we as a community are experiencing that together, imperfectly, yes. But we say, we're rich. I mean, I feel rich to be a part of a church like this. I really do. So rich in relationship. And it's not a perfect community, you know that. And, and I'm not a perfect leader in this community, but we're, we're halfway there or some way there and we say, oh man, when we realize the riches we have in Jesus and the riches we have in the community that he has given to us, we say, I have to give this away. When we see, and this is part of the reason why we prayed through and we felt the Lord leading us to King was it is a new and it's an old, but it's a new and growing community and there aren't enough churches in that community and the ones that are there are shrinking and dying and disappearing and we're saying, we need to plant churches. We need the presence of Jesus in those communities. <clears throat> it is a generosity issue and it is really about self-donation. Are we willing to give ourselves away to this? <clears throat> I didn't have to drink that soon. That would be bad. <clears throat> um, where was I? We have about 30, we wanted to plant in, in King with about 70 people. We have about 35 who have already said, yes, we are in. But we cannot do it with just the ones who are in. We cannot even do it even if we got to 70 today. This is actually something where our whole community needs to be a part of. Here's why. Because we believe this is something our whole church is meant to do because it is not about that location and whether you live close to there or whether you have friends there who you want to know Jesus. This is actually about a spirit of generosity that we feel God wants to create in us. Oh, you're the best. Thank you. This is actually about saying, as a community, we want to be marked by an overflowing generosity that we are willing to give ourselves away to this. this and, and here's why this, this even matters. Practically, the, the 35 people already who have said yes are some of our mo most longest-term leaders in this church. There are some people who helped plant this church, and they're crazy enough to say, let's do it again 14 years later. 
And so some of our best leaders are actually leaving, and they're leaving opportunities for new people to step in here and begin to lead and to have the experience of blessing that they have had while they have been here for the last 14 years. So this actually creates a whole dynamic movement. It's actually a disturbing one. It stirs up this whole church, and we believe here's why, right? This is a gift when God actually gives us an opportunity to learn generosity, to learn what it means to say, I'm going to be less focused on what I have and what I don't have and what I do have, and I can give it away. Because I know this, it is very easy for us to feel poor when it comes to our time, right? Many of you are like, oh man, I have so much work in school right now. I'm doing a master's or I'm doing an undergraduate degree in high school and the step change is just killing me. There's so much work. I don't think I have time. I feel like I don't have enough to give. Some of you are in really demanding jobs or you have young kids at home and you're like, it's easy to feel in this stage of life where you just have lots of commitments that you're involved in many things. You're like, I don't have any more to give. I can't be generous. I can't because we're aware there's this, there's this poverty of time mentality that is inside of us. And sometimes that makes us feel like, oh, I, I can't. And it and actually makes us more aware of what we don't have. <clears throat> and the feeling is, I'll be poor if I give any more away. It's a scarcity mentality. I'll tell you, here's what I know about, about my experience. So when we um, started Upper Room 14 years ago, it was 15 years ago, we started kind of meeting monthly. And I was, we had, uh, I think Noah was, when we started, was four months old. And I was working about 50 hours a week doing like a different job. And we started getting involved in the church here. And so I was leading the worship ministry. Jen was uh, on the kids ministry team. We didn't go to church together for the first seven or eight months. She says it was like two years, but I don't know. Maybe it felt like that. Because one of us was on. So we'd leave the house on a Sunday morning, 7.30, with one of the kids at home. Then we had Joel, so we had two kids under two, and we were up to our neck in this, back and forth. And it was hard. There were a lot of days when you start a a new church. um, This isn't a new church. We're starting in King. We're multiplying congregations. But when you start a new church, they say that a lot of the people that go with you leave. And so a lot of the people that started to plant leave. And so we were given it as much as we could. I was on the leadership team and leading the worship ministry. Jen was involved in kids' ministry. We had two kids under two, and it, I was working a lot. I was traveling. We had a lot of tough days. I remember sitting on the stairs in our home, and I said to her, because we would get into arguments regularly after church on Sundays. And part of that was because we so wanted this to be a place in a community where people who were far from Jesus could come. And it's just hard. It was hard when other people who were going with you were saying, I can't do this anymore and they were leaving. And that happens, like whatever. We weren't mad at them. Well, we kind of were sometimes, right? It's bringing up all this stuff in you. And it was hard. And I remember sitting on the stairs and I said to her, I can't drag you to this place anymore. Like if you, if you don't want to go, let's just find another church and we'll do that. But I, I don't want to be in this place anymore. And I felt like God, God saying, maybe I've told this to you before, are you the next one out or the last one out? Like even if you think this isn't going to work, because it's just hard to start a church, right? Any of you have started a new business, you know, like it's just difficult. And in my heart, I was like, no, I, I want to be, it was, but it was like a crisis of commitment. And, and I felt like Jesus was asking me, are you going to strap yourself to the mast, even if you think it's going down? And I didn't know I was going to be a pastor or anything like that. But I just thought, yes, I want to do this. I, I want to be in. And we weren't the only people doing this. Uh, any, you talk to any of the families that helped start this thing, we were all in the same boat. It was only one sort of paid staff, a, a pastor who planted the church. All the rest of us were lay people, had young kids, and were all over the place in terms of work. And it was busy and hard. But we loved it. I mean, we were gluttons for punishment. You just keep coming back. I liked my job, but this was way more fun. This was, there was a richness in this thing that we could taste only a little bit of from the beginning that began to well up in our hearts day after day, week after week. I became more and more convinced of what we now call a deep and wide approach to the church. 
that we say, no, we're, as the church, we go deep into the faith of Jesus, that we understand who Jesus is, and it begins to change us from the inside out, and then it begins to widen our embrace because that's who Jesus is. The more you love him, the more self-giving you are because he is the self-giving God. It is impossible to love him and not become more like him. And that was becoming more of what we were convinced of in our hearts. We were getting to do life in the trenches with people that became family for us. You know, our kids, when we were on sabbatical this last year, like Jen and I were away from the church for five months, but they were like, and we said, oh, it'll be a chance to go to other churches. They're like, that was like a wor the worst conversation at our dinner table. It was like, we don't care. We don't want to go to other, this is our family. Why are you taking us away? We had to sort it out. This is their family. This is their place. It isn't my church. It's theirs. Because we dragged them all over the place, wherever we were when they were little, and they were doing nap times all over the place, and they have grown to love this place. It is their family, and they're a part of serving, and they love being here. That's not something we could make them love. It was just something that happened as we brought them along in what we were doing. And I wouldn't trade that. And they have been so richly poured into by so many of you who have watched them from the time they were young or taught them how to play music or came and you know, visited their volleyball games and helped them do that. And people who have become family with us, we'd say, oh my gosh, like this has totally changed our lives. My heart, I am a different man than I was 14 years ago. It has been broken over and over and over again. I was somebody that kind of just liked whatever fun thing was. I was the weekend warrior. When I went to school and discovered that the week, like in university and discovered the weekend started on th a Wednesday night, I was like, okay, this is, this was meant for me. I did study too, sort of, but this was like, that was my life. And then getting involved in this community and God starting to break my heart for the people in our community who didn't know Jesus started to break my heart with the people that we got a chance to privilege to walk alongside who were suffering with hard things. And he began to break my heart and say, I want you to cry with them. He began to break my heart for what was going on in West Africa when I actually went there and it just changed my perspective on what it means to be generous. It began to break my heart as I discovered that there were human trafficking victims, not, not only in different parts of the world and in Asia and, and, and in uh, Eastern Europe, but in, in our backyard, in the hotels right behind our office and saying, I want you to get involved in that. And that has broken my heart for the cause of women in our city and in this issue in particular. It has broken my heart over and over and over again. And I'm a different man than I was. And so I don't bat an eye by throwing down in front of you and saying, don't have a poverty mentality with your time. It will change your life. I have no problem hoping that some of you have the same experience that me and my family did as being a part of this. And we as a community are at a same kind of next step change as a whole as we do this in King. And it takes the whole community to do this. For some who are going to go, for some who are going to stay here and still serve there, for some who are going to fill actually new roles here, but all of us who are going to pray and lean into this and invite people in who need to know the riches that we have in Christ. It was costly for us. It was a risk. We were afraid it would make us poor. In the end, it made us more rich. And I'm not saying because we did it, you have to do it. I'm not saying because, oh, look at us, whatever. We just did what was in front of us. It was something God sucked us into because it was what's happening in the community around us and it changed our lives. And I want that for you. I'm not the only person who I would say has been changed and radically affected by this. And so I want to ask um, Melissa Yurik to come up. And as she does, um, we need to, she's really great at amping us up and getting us to cheer and stuff like that, but you need to do that for her today because <laughs> what happened, um, 
two weeks ago is she was now officially licensed by our denomination and officially appointed to become the site pastor in King City. So, yes. So the reason I've asked her to join me up here is not just for that purpose, but um, her and her family um, were also part of the group that started this, and even uh, like your particular role now has changed and actually becoming a pastor to launch this thing. And so I want you to talk about, okay, what has been that journey for you? Because it's been difficult and costly and has disturbed you and not at all what you thought you'd be doing. And yet, um, I know I can say this, like God is in the process of making you richer through this. And so I told my story about how this started here, but now 14 years later, you, you're crazy enough to want to do it again, and it's meant something for your family, but also want you personally. No, yeah. just <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. so our story, my family's story, is much like VJ's. We were here um, at the beginning, and so um, just, I don't know, I think it was three or four years ago, uh, it was 2016, when uh, kind of the REACH story came about, and we started talking about what it would look like to be a multi-site church, and I thought, this is a great idea. I, I love new ideas, and I love new things, and I'm you know, all gung-ho about that, so I thought multi-site is great for everyone else, and I'll stay here, and I'll send you all, and I'll, like, cheer you on, and that'll be how that'll go, and that was kind of the approach that I thought. I didn't think it was going to mean me, to be perfectly honest, and then we started talking about different places, and King and Oak Ridges kept coming up, and in my heart, I thought, nope, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because, oh, we're too small, and oh, we're too close to Vaughn, and oh, all of these different things. And also, we already planted a church. It's this church, and so we, it wasn't going to be us. And slowly, um, the way God works is, I don't know if he wears you down or if he gives you just a, a fresh vision, but um, I'm really thankful for my husband, who um, he was just like, Melissa, why would we fight this? Like, this is, a, this is a great idea. And I was like, I don't know. Um, and then we kept praying about it and praying about it. And uh, as we got more and more involved, even in our community, through our kids, through their schools and the activities they were in, it became more and more apparent that like, yeah, like we're, there, there's no one here introducing anyone to Jesus and to like what he's done in my life. And why wouldn't we want to be there and doing that? Now, let me just say that this has not been an easy sell to my entire family. And I will not name names. Um, we're a family of four. Ruben's in on it, so. Um, nice. But it's tough. That's, it's that, tough, right? Like that's this. That's the first uh, <laughs> skill of pastoring is how to throw your kids under Yo, the bus. Oh, I love you. Sermon, I right? love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that'll be a nice car ride home. Um, <laughs> no, like, but this is hard. The same way uh, Vidge's kids feel like this is their family, it is a really hard conversation to have. And to ask them to actually do this all again, because they also were dragged through every, all the different things. We've been on setup and teardown for 14 years. And so there have been a lot of early Sunday mornings and all of the stuff in the back of our car and all of those things. And now I'm trying to get them <laughs> amped up to do it again. And there are moments that they're excited. And there's a lot of moments, even moments like this morning when we start talking about King and they're like, um, because it's a lot, it costs, it for sure costs, and it's a difficult thing to think about, um, leaving a church community that we just love so, so, so much, um, to go and start something new and to do this all over again, but it's worth it, 
Um, if we hadn't done this, then I wouldn't know most of you. But mo more importantly than that, I wouldn't have heard your story of how Jesus has drawn you into relationship um, and changed you and then by extension changed me. And so, yeah, I'm hungry for more of that. We're excited for that um, in the King and Oak Ridges area. Is that good? Yeah, and then it's, it's also meant um, for you personally, vocationally, yeah. your, your job is changing. So talk about that. How's that been for you? Ooh. So that's been interesting. You know, I was talking to um, someone the other day about, because how I came on staff at the church was actually a kind of a backwards way. I was, I just helped with everything. And I was, I was in marketing and client strategy for, in finance for years and years. And what was happening to me was that I was having way more fun and way more passion um, helping with things here. And so I did what I always did in my old job, which was I made a job description and I gave it to Vid. I'm like, you need me to come on staff. And I expected right away for him to say yes, but he didn't. Um, it took a little bit, but eventually I did come on staff, but it was all to do like the stuff that I know, which is marketing and client strategy and things like websites and lots of talking. And that's what I, I did. And um, but over the course, I've been here, I've been on staff for seven years now, and it's been like a, a gradual growing in which I've um, just, I, I don't know, my heart has been broken for people, and it's changed me. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's not perfect, <laughs> um, but I feel like I just, I, I have more grace for people. I feel like I have more empathy for people, and God's been doing a work in me, and so then as this whole King Oak Ridge's idea of being a site pastor, to be perfectly honest, that was a full stop no for me for a really long time. I, we had a consultant come in and talk about multi-site strategy and what a site pastor does, and I listened the whole time going, perfect, that's not me. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the church leadership and the, and Vidge and, uh, you know, everyone has been so great about, um, like, walking me through this process and kind of, again, coming up with a job description that I felt like, um, yeah, the, that God had called me into and um that sat right with me so yes to be in this spot and to be called that is kind of a thing that i'm it's like an ill-fitting pair of shoes i'm still not i haven't broken them in yet so um i'm working on that but i'm excited and like extremely afraid <laughs> but i think in a really um in a really healthy way and so yeah that's that's changed a lot for me i've had to do lots of courses and i've had to have long interviews like two and a half hours of like being quizzed about where things are in the bible Yep. Um, so that's good. Uh, but yeah, so there's been costs there as well, but I, I am excited. And I think uh, part of the reason why I asked Melissa to share this is just so you know that as leaders in the church, we're not asking you to do something that we are already not actually going through ourselves. Mm -hmm. And again, this is because, and I have gotten a chance to watch her and her family and be transformed just like we have and saying this isn't just about learning to do other stuff. It is about becoming new people. And this has been the gift of the church to us. And so again, we just feel like, well, why wouldn't we want that? And I know many of you, um, from where you sit, from where, where you've led, can say the same thing in, in, in different ways. Your stories are different, but you can say, oh yeah, that's totally been our story as well. We are not the same people. And we like who we are becoming because we feel like bit by bit, again, halfway there, becoming more and more like Jesus. 
And so this is our hope and our prayer that even as we move towards this as a church. And so what we wanted to do was, you know, whenever, whenever I preach, and Dave and I preach, we always talk about, okay, what is your next step? Well, this is kind of a next step we're taking as a community, that we're doing this together. And if you can't tell, we're trying to I just all hold everybody's hand and say, can we do this together? Are you ready? Um, not just the people who are going, but actually the people who are still going to consider going, and all of us here in Vaughan who are staying and how that works, and of course our congregation in Bolton as well. So I asked Melissa to break this down for us. I remember when we did the REACH campaign and we were like, okay, we're going to raise $1.2 million. It was like, <gasps> how are we ever going to do that, right? We'd never even done a capital campaign before and whatever. And some of it was going, okay, what is the need, right? Um, but then sort of helping each of us go, well, what would it mean for me, mm -hmm. right? No matter how much money I have in my bank account, because it's all different. And we said it isn't about equal amounts, but it is about equal risk, right? Equal risk means we're sharing this together. And we encouraged you when you were giving, pledge whatever it is. It doesn't matter the amount. The, the amount is not the point because someone can give a lot, but it costs them very little. And other person gives, a, and that was what Jesus hold, said, you know, at the time that it isn't actually about what you're giving. It's what's left over because that's what's getting at the poverty in your spirit, right? So we kind of bro broke it down for people when we were raising money. Well, the same thing is we are trying to raise up us together as people to break down. So I asked Melissa, can you put flesh on this for us? And what would it mean for us? What would it mean for you if you're sitting here going, okay, I think, I, I think maybe God is inviting me to be changed by this. Some of you are already in there. You're already going to do that. Um, but others of you may be saying, yeah, I haven't really thought about this. I, I sort of thought it was out there and those people were going, I don't live there, so that doesn't affect me. What would that mean for me? So I asked her to kind of get practical for us mm -hmm. with this. Okay, so my prayer for this morning is that even as you're sitting here, like there's a little something going on in your heart or in your stomach, maybe hopefully not, nothing bad in your stomach, but a little bit of something happening. And my prayer for you is that you will actually lean into that. So we're, I'm going to put a whole bunch of stuff up on the screen behind us um, about, you know, kind of a s state of the union here at Upper Room. Um, we want to always celebrate. We've got about 37 adults um, right now that are committed to coming and planting King. And our goal is 70 adults. So you can all just take a little quick second and look at the person beside you and say, hmm, and, and maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Oh, okay. Um, what we've done is, but the truth is, th the idea that this will not affect you is not true. So it is going to affect you. And so you were given um, like a little card on the way in. I have actually a little. Anyways, they're here. And there are two sides to it. And, and we're going to ask you actually um, over the course of this month, if you're ready to fill it out today, then you can. But um, over the course of this month, wrestle with the stuff I'm about to talk to you about um, and pray about it. And then, you know, make a decision. But we're going to talk about this first. So this is how it's going to affect the entire church. So what I've done up here on the screen is you can see different ministries that we have um, here at Upper Room Community Church. And now the numbers now, I told you 37 adults have committed. So when you see some of the numbers um, under King, when it'll say maybe more than 37, that's because I'm counting youth. And it isn't because we're not counting youth and kids who are coming to um, the plant. They are very important and a part of this church. The only thing is they can't get there themselves. And so um, we're counting adults because those are the people that actually bring the children. Capiche? Okay. So we team crew. I'm going to have to look at this because I didn't print it all out for me. So here we go. Um, right now in a month. So the, this is what we need people in a month to serve on a team to make church happen. So in Vaughn, we need 16. That, that, um, means that there's a team of four once a month. That's how that goes. So um, when the King crew who are currently committed leave, um, we, will, uh, we will be down six people, OK? 
Okay, so we will, we, will, we will have 10 out of our 16 people there. We, that's not so good. Then in King, we have half of a team ready for setup. Now, we're not exactly sure. I'm going to tell you some really exciting stuff about what's happening in King um, in terms of where we are. We're not exactly sure of what our need is for a crew team, but right now we're, I'm, I'm going with three. We're going to see about that, three each week. Um, same with the greeting team. We have nine of our 16 needed people um, in Vaughn to greet, and we have seven of our 12. So you can see, see the little blue guys are who we need. We need them to turn green. Um, and maybe you're feeling like you could be green today. That's amazing. Um, over in Ignite, you will see we need lots of people because we have lots of kids. And you can see the large holes that we have in both Vaughn and in King. I don't think I need to, you guys can do the math and you can see all the things. So there's that. Same within junior high on Sundays. We don't actually, praise the Lord, we have, uh, we're fully staffed on our Friday night um, Ignite programs, but on Sundays, or we're close to Felisa, yeah. Um, but we're, we're going to concentrate on Sundays because we're not actually going to do separate youth in King on Friday nights. They're coming down. Um, is that good? You've seen that? Next slide. All right. Our tech teams. So those are people who do um, what Howie does. So sound and media. I mean, it's, yes, it's, it's all of that stuff. And it sounds maybe more complex than it is. Um, you can be trained on these things. So these are the holes we have. We have only five of the 11 people that we that we need. Did I do the numbers right up there? Looks different to me. Oh yeah, that's good. Okay, and then we have three of our six king people. You can see worship in king. Do you see that? We have two worship people coming to king. If you are on a worship team, maybe it's not just me bugging at you. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. So we have two of our nine people. And then finally on our hospitality teams, these are like our 30-minute parties and helping with things like URCC 101 and, and that kind of stuff. You can see the holes in these as well. We have four, 14 of 20 people in Vaughan, and we only have three actually currently coming with us to King. Um, so these are all there. So when you look at your forms, which now I can't find again, but you can see I've broken down all the different areas in which there is to serve. And then you can go through and think hmm, or pray about where you think that maybe you could um, lean in and serve in this area. And let me tell you, if you feel unqualified, like join the club. Yeah. Um, I for sure feel unqualified in most of the things that I do. Um, but even when it was when I started teaching in Ignite, I am not a teacher. I am not a trained teacher. That is not necessarily um, what you need to be able to do. You just need to be able to connect with kids. And so if you ever want to talk about that, I'd love to chat with you about it. But these are the different areas. Um, the other things that we're actually calling you to are, if you're not feeling led to, to join the King Plant, that's okay. Um, but maybe you're being called to just come and to commit to serving. So one of the things that um, we're really excited about is, actually, King service will probably be at an alternate servi service time, most likely in the later afternoon. Uh, there's a couple different reasons why that'll work really well. It's going to um, help with our, our commitment to having live teaching. Uh, if we have all the services at the same time, we only have two teaching pastors, that's a problem. So that means there would be video and all that stuff. If we can have an alternate service time, then we can actually facilitate live teaching, which is a, a value of ours. Um, the other thing is um, it allows for people to come and to serve and to be able to come and to participate in what is happening in that community, whether or not that's where you live. Um, and you can actually bless the people who are going, maybe commit for a year or two years, and then we'll just suck you in and make you stay. Um, just kidding, one or two years. Um, so that's one of the options there. 
But the other one is, okay, so you're called. You're, you're staying here in Vaughan, and you know that for sure, and there's lots of you that that's true, and we're so thankful for you. What does that mean for you in terms of where you serve and you currently lead? And, I, uh, you know, Vijay touched on this at the beginning, but I think probably one of the biggest traps is everybody feels so busy, and I get that. I get that feeling. I get practices and long work days and commuting and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but over the course of this next month, we have a, on the flip side here, we have like a due date for you. The only reason we put a due date, there is no real due date. Um, but sometimes we need one in our hearts to actually be like, okay, I need to actually commit to thinking about this and praying about this. Um, and there needs to be an end time. I've talked to lots of different people who have been uh, praying and discerning about coming to King. And I trust that they are. I think at one point, we get to just make a decision. And, and so sometimes a date is just a good thing to work towards. I wouldn't get anything done if I didn't have a due date. So um, December 1st, so maybe over the course of this month, you're just going to commit to praying about what this could mean for you um, in terms of leaning in here in Vaughan, serving maybe only in King, or actually joining us. Um, yeah, joining us in King. Is that everything I was supposed to say? Mm -hmm. I think great. so. Ultimately, I th oh, go ahead. Oh, I thought something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing that you can be praying about is um, a location. So I, was, I wanted to give you updates. There's people that have come. Uh, we had our interest gathering a few weeks ago, and, and we did it at the King United Church. Um, one of the kind of challenges that we have in King and Oak Ridges is there aren't lots of large group meeting spaces. There's no movie theaters. Um, there's schools for sure, but that in terms of setup and teardown becomes a little bit cumbersome. So, um, But it looks like we might have an opportunity to rent space within a local church. Um, and we have one of our meetings there and it, um, yeah, there's just lots of potential there. And so we would ask you to pray about that. Um, that also is part of the reason for an, an alternate turn, um, service time because they can still have their service and we can have ours. Um, but also what a cool thing. It's right in the community. It's, um, a spot that people are really accustomed to going to for lots of things other than church. Um, and so we would ask you to pray about um, the possibility of us actually meeting in that location. Um, if you have any questions about all of that kind of stuff, man, I would love to talk to you about it. I think you can tell that. But um, are you closing? Yeah. Okay, wait, I have one other thing to say. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, I hope, my, I was thinking, what is like one word I could give you about this whole multi-site thing? And maybe you feel down about it in some ways because all you see actually right now is the cost of it. And I get that. Um, but the word that I felt like God just gave me this week is to, was hope. Um, I, I want to like just call you to be hopeful about this. Be hopeful for the people that you live beside and that you, like whether it's in King or Oak Ridges or North Vaughan or Vaughan or wherever, I don't care. Um, be hopeful for the people that God has placed in your life, um, that they will actually come to see Jesus through you. And the verse that he gave me was actually just from Romans chapter five, and so I'm just gonna read it to you and then I'll let you close your own sermon. Um, but um, it's, let me read it for you, it says, um, and we rejoice <clears throat> in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Um, by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given to us. Okay, that's all. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I just want to bless you this morning. You are rich. You are rich. May God grow your awareness of what you have. 
that would diminish any kind of thought what you don't have or what you're lacking because he has given us himself and there's no greater riches. Would you receive that? Man, thank you so much for coming. Uh, enjoy a coffee or something to eat at a 30-minute party. And um, for those of you that want to ask about one-on-one or if you're new, please come down to the welcome table. God bless.